Hello and welcome to episode 16 of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we are going to be talking about it. Today, we are recording on January 22nd, 2017, not 2016, like I wrote on a receipt the other day. My name is Corey Motley, staff writer at GameCritics.com, and 50% of the show. With me, as always, is Brad Galloway, editor at GameCritics.com. How are you doing, Brad? I am doing tired, man. This has been a crazy <laughs> weekend, and I, fair warning to listeners, like, energy is kind of low. Like, I may, I may miss my cues. I may forget what I'm saying. I may spin off in a really random direction. Who knows? Anything could happen tonight because I am not functioning on all cylinders right now. You know, speaking of that, um, last week, um, listeners at home, in case you don't know, Brad and I record every week, and then I go through and listen to the show to edit it and, you know, take care of any weird anomalous noises or anything and make sure the show sounds okay before I export it. Last week, I was listening back to our show, and... um, so, you know, sometimes people who don't podcast uh, may not know this, but, you know, it, sometimes you don't say things correctly, and then you get to listen back to every little word you say, and sometimes you realize that you sound like an idiot. Well, last week, I had one of those moments, because we were taking, we were talking about the Switch last week, and we were taking, um, we took some uh, comments from Twitter to what people thought about the Switch, what people thought about Nintendo, if they were excited, if they weren't. And uh, I think the first comment that I read off was from a listener named Elijah Bame. And I went on this, like, five-second spiel complimenting how cool his name is and that he should be a celebrity. And when I listened back to the show, I meant to say that I wanted to shake his parents' hands and tell them what a good job they did naming their, their kid. But what I really said was that I wanted to shake his parents. I left out the <laughs> word hands. <laughs> so I I totally did that last week and I listened back to the show and just like put my head in my hands and I was like great he's going to be listening to the show and he's going to be like oh so this guy just wants to shake my parents like what why is that no I left out the very critical word in that sentence which was hands so uh, yeah I definitely did some of that how rude you want to commit violence against his parents for giving him a cool name ouch That's I know weird. I hope that whoever uh, I hope that people listening didn't think I was a complete and total idiot but um if they did think that, they're not far off. So, yeah, it happens. Oh, the joys of podcasting. I've I've had a number of those moments. Um, it just happens. I mean, you know, you're you're going. You're it's live when you're recording. Things are happening, and you know, I mean, public speaking or at least speaking to an audience is kind of a skill. You got to really practice, and you got to be sharp. You got to be real sharp. And if you haven't had your coffee that day, you haven't had enough sleep. You just you got done doing something else. You're not focused yet. Things weird things can slip through. It, you're just human, though. Everybody's human. I think everybody will forgive you, sir. Well, thank you. And Elijah, if you're listening, uh, I apologize. Please report back to your parents that I do not want to shake them, but I would like to shake their hands because you have a cool name, and uh, I totally misspoke on the last show. Although that kind of gives me like a really cool picture in my head of like how excited you are about his name, that you're like so excited. You're just like... Going up to his parents, just like shaking them really vigorously, going, "Oh my god, that's such a cool name! I love your name!" Ah, See, ah. I was thinking of it in the sense of like, like a Looney Tunes cartoon or something, like Daffy Duck shaking somebody, like Bugs Bunny. Hmm. Either way, there will be no actual shaking because that would be like a liability. <laughs> so we can't have that. Yeah, and uh, also, listeners, um, 
we we record this show pretty late. I'm in uh, Chicago time, like uh, Central Standard Time. Brad is in, is it Pacific time? I am in Pacific, that's correct. So like two hours earlier than your time? Yeah, so usually we record right at 7 p.m. Uh, Pacific and 9 p.m. my time. So 9 p.m. isn't really that late for me because I'm like a super night owl most of the time. But like... You know, most people, when they think about doing a job or, you know, recording, doing public speaking and editing, they probably don't think about doing it at 9 p.m. So that is just like it like compounds on top of the fact that like we're already tired, the fact that we're doing this at night every week. So there's that as well. Well, and to be fair, you know, I used to be a really, really like well-known night owl myself. Um, That's kind of changing because. Uh, you know, I mean, people who listen to the show may remember or if they know me outside or something. I mean, I'm kind of a freelancer. And so I take jobs here and there when I can when I can get them. And I uh, a couple months ago got a really sweet gig, which is a really cool, fun job. And it's really close to my house. It's got a lot of perks. I really like the people that I'm working with. But the downside is that I need to get up at five o'clock every morning to be there. So for me, who is used to staying up until two or three at night, um, you cannot do that and then get up at five and like continue to live. So. Um, if people think it's weird that I'm getting tired at like 7 p.m., I mean, I think it's kind of weird, too, and it's kind of fucked up and I don't like it. But like getting up at five is not very, uh, you know, it's not very compatible with being a night owl. So I, I am losing my night owl status, I think. Hopefully that will change. I'm hoping that the schedule will change. Um, but yeah, in the meantime, I'm just I'm tired at 7 p.m. and it's like fucking embarrassing. <laughs> and that reminds me of before. uh before I quit my job early, I guess it was like almost a year ago, actually, um, when I used to work in management at Target, I would work, I would have to be at work at 3.30 in the morning. Oh, so, God. So I remember uh, a few years ago, I remember consistently, I would get up for work at like three in the morning or, you know, like 2.45 or whatever. And I could actually get up and like you would be up tweeting. And so I would be able to like tweet some things with you and like have a little bit of discussion and i happened to be getting up for work at the time and you were getting up late but uh totally yeah i totally remember that like you would always come up right before i went to bed like you were getting up i was going to bed that was i mean that's how much of a night owl i was and how early you were getting up which was crazy so yeah things have changed but yeah that was uh that was good times Indeed. Well, you know, I was going to, you know, every week for listeners that know, we always announce like, oh, we're going to do a little bit of banter before we jump into the meat of the show. And I didn't even really have to say that Um, (laughs) this week. We just kind of jumped in. But Brad, I know you had some other stuff you wanted to talk about before we move on to Games Talk. So uh, we we always talk about movies, except for last week. I messed up our streak of talking about movies. So, Brad, are you going to bring it back around to talk about movies this week? I will get us back on the movie streak. But before I do that, I just want to say up front, I'm going to be saying this for probably a while. Like I want to do like a, a stock apology to listeners. Um, we're not quite to the meat of the show yet, but when we get there, you will find out that Corey is going to be doing all of the heavy lifting this week because <laughs> I'm still playing Yakuza zero and I'm still playing, let it die. And we talked about this last week. I'm not going to beat it into the ground, but like, I'm not done with either of those games. And both of those games are taking up like all of my free time. So I just don't have, a whole lot to talk about this week, so I want to apologize for that up front. Uh, in terms of our usual kind of banter, you know, I was going to talk about the Harry Potter movies. We're still going through the Harry Potter movies. We're up to number six. We just finished number six. And it was better than I remember it being. I remember not really being a fan of that one, but it was pretty good. But I don't really want to talk about that very that much. I mean, the thing that's really been taking up most of my energy and most of my time uh, has been Donald fucking Trump. Like, this weekend or like a couple days ago was the inauguration, which was a shit show. And, you know, immediately after that was the Women's March, which was like, you know, apparently the largest protest in U.S. history, which is amazing and awesome. 
Um, but I spend a lot of time reading about Donald fucking Trump and I hate it because I hate Donald fucking Trump. I hate this guy. He's a complete fucking jack off. He's like a, a person you cannot respect under any circumstances, pathological liar, sexist, homophobe, racist, whatever phobe, like all that stuff. It's embarrassing to me that he is the president of the country. I still don't think fairly. I mean, I know, I guess, apparently we're moving on from that. I don't think we should have let it go so quick. I think that we should have continued the investigation. And I don't think we should have moved forward with all of the questions surrounding his legal ties, um, his banking ties, uh, his property holdings. I mean, all that stuff. And so I end up spending a lot of time reading about him because I want to stay aware of what's going on. I think the most dangerous thing that can happen to the United States at this particular point in time is getting complacent, like even for one second, believing anything that fucker says because he lies like every single thing he says is a lie. And we've had bad presidents in the past. We've had presidents who've lied in the past, but not to this degree. Like we we've never had a president where like he opens his mouth and you immediately assume that it's a lie. I mean, how what a crazy thing to live with. So what a crazy thing to be dealing with. And so I feel like I need to pay attention to everything he says and check it and fact check it and read up on a story. If he makes a quote, I got to find that quote. Of course, it's a lie. He sends out a statistic. Of course, that's a lie. It is. And so it's taking up so much of my fucking time and energy. But I feel like it would be really dangerous to not be aware of this stuff. Um, I know that you were, are, you know, you were going to um, a meeting about uh, stuff in your area, what you could do, you know, things maybe that you could organize around. I mean, I, is this is this keeping you up at night, Corey? Are you spending a lot of time, you know, playing Trump's watchdog? I mean, like I am. I mean, what's your status on this whole thing right now? What, how's it going for you? Well, for me, I sort of take, and I don't mean for this to sound disrespectful to you um, in any way, shape, or form, um, but I sort of take, like, not the opposite approach, but... I mean, I'm definitely up on things that are going on, you know, because between Twitter and between Facebook, um, you know, I'm reading articles that people are posting, you know, New York Times stuff, Washington Post stuff. Um, but the way that I view Donald Trump, and I don't talk about Trump very often, even though I have lots of thoughts, um, and I'm going to explain exactly why I don't talk about him very much. Uh, so this is, this is going to be like, you know how people get on Facebook and they write like, oh, I, I never post political statuses, but here, and then they write like a paragraph. This is going to be sort of my version of that. Okay. All right. Go for it. So the way that I think about Donald Trump is he's kind of like whenever you're in like first grade, he is that kid that sits in the back of the classroom that always like, is, like is loud or make jokes or is like goofing off. And your teacher always says every single time that kid goofs off, hey, hey, guys, don't pay attention to him because all it does is encourage him. And that is very much how I feel about Donald Trump, because if you if you are tweeting at him, if you are tweeting about him, if you are um, making jokes about him, if you are a stand up comedian and you are doing stand-up sets about him, if you are saying anything about him, whether you are praising him and kissing his shoes, are you, or you are one of those people that is retweeting every single goddamn tweet he puts out and, like, saying that he's wrong or correcting him or whatever, it, none of that matters. That You're just giving him attention, and that's all he wants. He doesn't care about being right, about, um, you know... Uh, he, he just doesn't care. All he wants is the attention. It's very obvious at this point that he is he taught he uh, treated the United States election like 
like a popularity contest. And although he did not win the popular vote, he is now our acting president of the United States. So like he won, you know, technically via the Electoral College. And and so he could say he won. And one thing that really bothers me, and Brad, I know you do this, so I don't, I'm not trying to be mean, but one thing that bothers me is people who spend a lot of time on social media, like calling him out on lying and like re like there's a, a shitload of people that just retweet every single tweet of his and then you know they have to have some like witty response or some funny response or some like you know oh you're wrong or oh here i'm gonna link to an article that says you're wrong or whatever and like that's all well and good because i believe that challenging those in power whether you respect them or not is basically like the hallmark of this country that's like what you know the democratic process is but I don't think this battle is going to be won and lost on Twitter or on Facebook or on social media. I think that, you know, for better or for worse, it's going to be won through our elected officials, through the House of uh, the House of Representatives, through the Senate, through calling your, your local people, through uh, maybe protesting, as we saw yesterday. Um, the Women's March was, uh, like you said, and like I've heard reported as well, the biggest like collaborative protest in the United States history. Um, like, I'm just really tired. Like, I can't even check my Twitter feed anymore because I'm so tired of opening it up and seeing every single person tweeting things to and about Donald Trump. And like, I get it. You want to challenge his power. But like, the, it's not like the place or time to do it, in my opinion, like, like tweeting at him is not going to change anything. Like it's good to stay aware, you know, it's good to challenge him, but that's not really the way to do it. And it seems like a lot of people on Twitter are just treating this as like, Oh, who can like, Oh, I have to make the best joke so I can get the most retweets or I can get the most likes or, Oh, who can make this joke first? Or, you know, and it's just like stuff like that that just really grates on me and really gets on my nerves. Like people are treating it like they have to be like the first and the funniest because on Twitter, everybody's a comedian. Like everybody has to have the last laugh. And and like I have very consciously made a point in my life to not engage in arguments with people on the Internet about uh, basically about politics in general, because about I, w I mean, I can't put a number on this, but I would say, I don't know, 70% of the people that are on the internet, like talking about Democrats or talking about Republicans or whatever, like, it doesn't matter what you say, you're not going to change their mind, they're not going to change your mind, like, there's nothing you can put in 140 characters on the internet, that's going to magically make me go, oh, oh, that's right, let me just be Republican from now on, like, oh, I get it. Because, like, there was a segment on Rachel Maddow right before the election where she showed, um, like, sort of, like, the approval ratings of the people who were going to vote for Clinton and the people who were going to vote for Trump. Like, their, I, it was their approval numbers, I think, from a poll. And from the very beginning of the election cycle to the very end of the election cycle, their approval numbers only changed by, like, 1%. After all of the stuff that happened with Donald Trump, after he wouldn't release his taxes, after the hot mic incident, you know, the pussy-grabbing incident, after all that. So, like, people made their minds up a long-ass time ago, and, and most of them did not change their minds. And I'm not saying that it's not possible for people to change their minds, but... I mean, fighting this battle on social media, I don't think is really going to help that much. And so I just try not to give him the attention, not to 
you know, put that sort of energy out there. Uh, I don't know. I just try to focus on my work. And like, I went to the Women's March yesterday and, you know, tried to demonstrate. I took photographs of it. I posted them online. I'm just trying to do my part to make things better without spending an entire day tweeting at Donald Trump all day, every day about things I don't like about him because I don't really think that's the right way to do it. But that's my like giant nutshell about how I'm handling this. Well, I think we actually agree more than we disagree for sure. And I don't, um, I mean, I do tweet quite a bit about, I don't tweet to Trump because that's not going to get anybody anywhere. It's all just going to put me on his radar. So when the Trump Gestapo starts making the rounds, I'll be suspect number one. No, thanks. But the reason that I kind of spend a lot of time doing that is because I feel like he's putting out so much information and it's ironic that he accuses so many places of being fake news, but he's like the number one purveyor of fake news. And so I feel like not to convince anybody, but to make sure that people know what he's doing, because he's not the kind of guy who's going to give a shit about how many women turned out the women's march. He's going to do what he's going to do. And I feel like we need to like keep an eye on that so that we can make those phone calls so that we can you know, go out and protest when something happens. So we're aware of what he's doing when we're not watching. I mean, I think that um, he tries to distract people from what he's actually doing. And so by keeping awareness high, by, you know, every time I see a good article about some bullshit, he's trying to pull some new law he's trying to pass without anybody noticing or anything like that, just to keep awareness up. So that's kind of what I'm more about doing, not really about making jokes or like trying to get back at him or anything. Cause, and I don't think that anybody's going to have their minds changed by whatever meme is posted on Twitter. So I think we kind of agree on that. And I mean, I also think it's also really important to publicly show like, you know, I, uh, in lieu of actually going to a march every single day, which wouldn't be possible, you know, by being someone who's visible on Twitter and by saying, you know, I don't respect this guy, I don't trust this guy, by putting myself out as someone who is anti-Trump, you know, that will kind of give some energy to other people to say, oh, you know, we, we've got a circle of people who are standing together against what he's trying to pull. So, you know, kind of like a virtual march or rally, I guess, in a, in a small bit every day, kind of a, you know, kind of an abstract concept, but something that I think is worth doing. You know, I just don't ever want things to be like, oh, I'm so tired of this, whatever. And we forget about it. And then Trump just goes crazy, him and all his cronies in the White House. It's a really bad scene. It's a bad scene, whichever way you want to do it. And um, it's terrible. So anyway, we talked like way more about that than I plan to. And sorry for people who come to this podcast for non-political <laughs> talk. It's got to be unavoidable. I mean, the next four years are going to be a nightmare. So it's going to be coming up. But we are here to talk about games um, so we should probably get to that. But uh, yeah, that was really eating up most of my time and energy this weekend, which is probably another reason why I don't have a lot of games to talk about. So again, apologies, folks. Corey, did you want to throw some banter in or do you feel like that kind of did that take up your banter portion? Uh, I mean, that's probably good, considering I just spent like 10 minutes, you know, talking about the election and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, I kind of derailed this pretty hard. That's my bad. I'll, I'll take ownership of that one. Well, uh, I mean, it's all good. Like, that's like probably my one and only two cents that the podcast is going to get about this whole situation. So, oh no, oh I no, guess, we'll drag uh, more out of you as as the years go on. We're going to be doing this podcast for a long time, and Trump is apparently not going anywhere. We we will talk about this again, but we'll try to space it out to not uh, piss everybody off and bore everybody. So. <laughs> <laughs> You're not off the hook that easy, sir. Well, we'll see. Um... We'll see how I feel about it. But uh, like I said, I just don't I don't really want I know that, you know, he's not listening to our podcast and probably I I would certainly think that nobody that supports him is listening to the podcast. But either way, like I don't I just don't want to give him the attention. I don't want to the like the less his name comes out of my mouth, the better like my life is, I think. So uh, 
I mean, that's kind of how I feel about it. I hear you. I hear you. Well, anyway, apologies to everybody for doing such a heavy political derail. My bad. My bad. But I think we should probably get the show back on track. What do you say, sir? Uh, I think so, too. So what... um, There's no time like the present to jump into what we've been playing. So tell me about... uh, the uh other than i'm not allowing you to talk about let it die or about yakuza so tell me about other stuff you've been playing (laughs) no worries (laughs) i don't want to talk about those things either um like i said at the top of the show i haven't had a lot of time to play anything else between everything that's been going on that i've already mentioned but i did play one thing and luckily it turned out to be amazing so i love talking about something good people you know people who um have followed me at game critics or on twitter you know for some reason, people like see me as being like a negative guy, which I think is not really true. I think that I'm very honest and I think I'm very blunt, but I don't think I'm very negative. Um, and I love to talk about good stuff when I find good stuff. I love sharing uh, information on something that's really, you know, really wonderful or really worth playing. And that's what I'm doing this week. I am saying nothing but sweet things um, about Box Boy on 3DS. And in fact, we haven't really talked a lot about 3DS lately, but I'm going to talk about it right here and now. Uh, Box Boy came out. In 2015, developed by HAL Laboratories, who I believe are also the guys that do the Kirby games, and I think they do some other puzzle games. I think of them as being a pretty high-quality studio uh, in my mind. And I know that a lot of people were pretty high on Box Boy when it came out, but I just I didn't get around to it at the time. I mean, I heard the name. I think I saw a couple pictures. I'm like, okay, I'll remember this for later. And then it kind of just fell off the radar, whatever, whatever. And it just so happened that I needed to uh, play something and I just, it was like 3DS was what I was looking for. 3DS was the thing that was going to be the perfect fit for this situation. And I went down my list and I'm like, oh yeah, Box Boy, I totally remember this from two years ago. Why don't we pick this up and let's try this? And it's fantastic. It's really, really fantastic. Um, Basically, it's a very minimalist puzzling game. I mean, there's a little bit of platforming, not a lot, but there's some, but it's mostly a puzzle game. What it's about is you take control of a little box with eyes and a couple legs. And his name is actually not Box Boy, though. His name is like QBBY, which I assume is pronounced QB because he's a box. Or, or, a or is it like like Cubby? <laughs> it could be Cubby. I mean, I guess Quubby. I don't know. Well, like QB, he... QB makes more sense, I guess, if he's like a cube, like a box. I mean, there's no real way to pronounce that, as far as I know. And it seems like somebody was getting cute over at Hell Labs. They must have had some kind of in-joke or something. But I, I guess I'm gonna, I guess it's QB. I, I'm going to go with QB. Um, so basically, graphics are incredibly simple. Like, I'm talking, like, he is literally like a square with a couple of eyeballs. Just dots for eyes, right? The entire game is, like, black and white. There's no colors. Everything is line drawings. Very, very minimalistic. But, you know, that actually works for me. I'm a big fan of developers that can get a lot done with a little. And this is the perfect example of where you don't need, like, a jillion dollars poured into graphics to make a game good. Because it doesn't matter. This game is amazing without all of the graphics. So you take control of QB. uh, And he's just like a box. And what he can do is he can make more boxes. So he'll, like, he'll... He'll kind of like squat down. It honestly, it kind of looks like he's taking a dump, and I hate to be like crude about it, but that's really what it looks like. You push a button, and his eyes kind of cross, and he starts shaking like he's you know constipated or something. And then like he will make like a clone of himself, like a box clone, but it's attached to him. And so he'll have all these different 
obstacles. Like there'll be like a, a gap he's got to cross, right? And the gap is like three squares wide. It's too far for him to jump because he's a cube and cubes suck at jumping apparently. So you, you push the button, he squats down, he produces these boxes and he can produce like, I mean, each level gives him a different limit. So I guess it really challenges you to think how to use your boxes effectively. But like he'll, he'll squeeze out like three boxes in a line and you can control which way they come because when they come out of him, it'll come out like the top or the right side, the left side. You decide which side the box comes out of. And then after that, you can choose where the next box comes out of. So like if the first box comes out on top of you, like on top of your head, that locks into place. And then the next box can go to the right, the top or the left of that box. So if you kind of, I know this is kind of confusing. I apologize for that. But uh, if you follow that logic, you can eventually make different shapes based on where you make those boxes come out of his body. So you can make like an S shape. You can make like a, like a C shape. I mean, you can make like all kinds of different shapes, a straight line, whatever, depending on whatever the situation calls for. And so each level is just about him getting to these little areas, whether it's a gap he's got to cross, he's got to climb up a really tall ledge, he's got to safely descend uh, into a pit or something like that. And just producing these boxes in different shapes to get him to where he needs to go. Super, super simple, super simple. But the developers do a fantastic job with it. Like it starts out very easy. You're going to blow through the first level, no problem. But when you get to the second and third worlds, uh, they get a little trickier and you have to really think about like which shape those boxes need to be. And then once those are the right shape, can you, you can also detach them from your body. So you can like make the boxes, then drop them off and then leave them there and then come back or like climb on top of them. Or you can, you know, like I said earlier, make a bridge or you can make stairs or all these kind of things. And it's all just about the way you manipulate these boxes. Very simple, very basic, but the developers have really thought about all the different permutations of how to use these boxes. In fact, it kind of reminds me of um, The Witness. I didn't play The Witness, but I heard like way more about The Witness than I ever wanted to hear. That was the puzzler from Jonathan Blow where apparently he takes some lion puzzles and does like every single possible thing with a lion puzzle that's that, that you can do. I feel like that's kind of what Box Boy is. Like they take these boxes and they do like God, like, like everything you think can think of to do with a box. And it's just, it never gets old. It never gets stale. Every level is like a new challenge. And I just think it's so incredibly clever what they do. I mean, and sometimes I'll be looking at this level and I'm just, I'm just like stuck. And I know that there's only so many things I can do, right? So it's all about like applying logic and thinking about what Box Boy can do. And I mean, it's never, it's never, it never seems like it's really difficult or challenging, but you can get stuck sometimes. And then when you finally figure it out, you're like, oh man, I should have seen that. Or like, it's so simple. Like, why didn't I think of that? You know, like it's one of those games where you feel kind of dumb at first if you get stuck. But then like, once you figure it out, you're like, oh yeah, that was really good. Like you don't feel cheated at all. You just feel like you finally had like this breakthrough and it's a really positive, really positive feeling. So I mean, that's basically all there is to say about it. I mean, it's it's just wonderful, wonderful little box puzzles. The character's really cute. The graphics, I think, are perfect for what it is. It's marvelous. I just think it's so marvelous. I am loving every minute of it, and I would highly recommend it to anybody who hasn't played it. I mean, apparently, I think I'm probably the last person on Earth who's played it, because I, I do remember quite a few people singing its praises a couple years ago, and I'm definitely late to that party, but... To anybody who hasn't played Box Boy, it is fantastic. Highest possible recommendation. Corey, have you ever uh, heard of Box Boy or have you played it? I have no idea what this game is before you started talking about it tonight. Oh, man. Do you have, you have a 3DS, though, don't you? I do. I don't know which one it is, but I have one. 
you should check this out. This is good shit. Like, if you ever want, like, a really, really well done puzzler, man, this is this is the jam. I, I love Box Boy. It is good, good stuff. Does it use the touch screen in any interesting ways? Not so far. It's so far, it's just the D-pad and a couple of buttons, so you don't even really need to have it on the 3DS. I, I mean, maybe that changes as the game goes on. I'm not done with it yet, but, I mean, so far, you don't even really even need the second screen. Like, it's just a very straightforward... Um, it's just kind of masterfully crafted. Like, they don't put any bullshit in this game. Like, there's nothing that doesn't belong there. Like, it's minimal, but everything that's there is necessary. Like, everything that's there really adds to the total package. Oh, man, it's just, it's just like masterclass in puzzle design. I just, I love it so much. It's so good. I'm trying to think of really bad puns while you're talking about this. Like, oh, do you think they unpack everything they could for the game, or... Um, are you ready to box up this game and put it on the shelf? Um, <laughs> mm, yeah, please fire let's, me. <laughs> let's not let's not go there. Let's not go there. Anyway, okay. So I don't have anything else to say about Box Boy except to say that it's fucking it's wonderful. Um, just a really really quick tangent. It really reminds me a lot of um. Oh gosh, there was a puzzler that came out on Vita a while ago, which I thought was just like fucking amazing, and of course. I can't remember. Oh, Dokuro. Do you ever play Dokuro on, on Vita? I don't have a Vita, and I don't know what that game is. Oh, my God. Okay, I'm not going to go into it too much here, but that, I think, was one of the best puzzle games to come out in the last, like, 10 years. And it was so amazing. They, so Boxboy has a lot of similarities. Like, it's very straightforward, very simple on the surface, but, like, the implementation of the puzzles are very clever, like, way more clever than you would ever think. So um, maybe we'll talk about it on a different show, but Dokuro, D-O-K-U-R-O, is one of, uh, I think, the best games on Vita. Wonderful game. And Box Boy is just as good. So if you're looking for good puzzlers, either one of those is a win. But Box Boy is amazing. So I've talked um, so much about Box Boy. I, I need to turn it over to you, sir, to get you to the gym to start doing some of that heavy lifting. Corey, I know that you <laughs> played a lot more games than I did this week. Um, I want to ask you first, though, how about an update on Gears of War? Are you still... Uh, you still gear gear of warring? Still war, war gearing? Gearing? Gearing up in war? <laughs> Did you get it? You're caught up on your Gears of War 4 lore? <laughs> oh, God. No, I did, like, the exact opposite, as a matter of fact. Um, last week, we talked about Gears of War 4, and I played, I played about maybe, like, 30 minutes to an hour of it. And a couple nights after we talked, uh, you know, I put it back in, and I was like, all right, I'm going to jump back into Gears. I'm going to try it, try it some more. And I played through the first chapter or the first act. It's like split up into acts and chapters. And I can't remember like which what I got through. But um, I played through the first part because the prologue I had finished before we talked. And then um, last week. And so I played through like chapter one or something this time. And I was playing it. And it's one of those games where and I established last week that I'm not really a Gears of War fan. I've only played the first two games I mean, they're fine for what they are, but they're not really, like, my bag anymore. And the whole time I was playing the opening chapters of Gears of War 4, all I could think about was playing, like, something better, like a better cover shooter. And as a matter of fact, the game that Gears of War 4 made me want to play was Vanquish. Which oh, is, like, kind of a cover shit. shooter. Oh, shit. Yeah. You said Vanquish. Good old Vanquish by Platinum Vanquish Games that came out in, like, amazing. 2009 oh. or 2010 or something. 
So the whole time I was playing the opening of Gears 4, I was like, you know, I would rather just be playing a different cover shooter because, like, if you like what Gears is doing, then Gears 4 is going to be for you. But, like, it's one of those games where, you know, you walk in a room and, like, oh, here come, you know, three waves of enemies for you to cover shoot. And then you walk in the next room and it's like, oh, here's three waves of enemies for you to cover shoot. And you walk in the next room and it's like, oh, here's three waves of enemies for you to cover shoot. And I, I would... I was just like, like, I feel like even though I had only played about two hours of it, like I had already seen like everything this game possibly could have to do. And if I didn't, then they sure didn't pace it out very well. Because if you like cover shooting, I'm guessing Gears of War 4 is going to be fine for you. But the whole time I was playing it, I was just like, I would rather play a different game right now. Um, so I, so I played Vanquish. <laughs> I took Gears of War 4. I had it from Gamefly. I put that fucker back in the mail and I played through all of Vanquish last week instead of finishing Gears of War 4. And that's what I did. That is an amazing choice. I absolutely commend that choice, sir. I have not played Gears of War 4, but I have played Gears and I know exactly what you're saying. The only reason I played those was because I was playing with my wife and that made it fun. If I had to play those on my own, I don't think I would have ever finished a single one, but Vanquish is the fucking shit, dude. That game is amazing. I think it's probably one of um, Platinum's best games. They they kind of peaked a little early with that one, but I want to know all about it. And I'm sure, I am sure, I guarantee that there are some people listening to this podcast who don't even know what Vanquish is or probably have never heard of it. So please, shed some light, sir. Well, Vanquish is a third-person shooter by Platinum Games. Uh, Platinum Games is known for... Bayonetta and uh, Metal Gear Rising, and they're also doing Near Automata, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, um, which is out later this year. Um, Vanquish is a um, third-person shooter where the United States has made a 51st state. I think it's called Providence, and it is in th- it's in space, so it's a space shooter. Not like I'm flying around and shooting in space. It's like I'm on this machine state in space. Um you play as a guy named Sam Gideon, who's like your total typical like white guy bro with brown hair protagonist, like 90% of other shooter protagonists. And he has this suit, this special suit. He's kind of like Iron Man in a way. Like he has this suit that's made by DARPA. It's this really cool white suit. And um, he can slow down time with it. And he can like use like jet boosters in the suit to like glide along the ground really quickly so he can like blast from place to place and if you dodge or if you're in the middle of jet boosting you can aim and it'll like go into slow motion you have a certain amount of time um to like aim and shoot the gun in slow motion and if you take up too much time then the suit will power down and it'll like take like 10 seconds to overheat and cool down um but i mean really like the name of the game for vanquish is like shooting robots it's like a robot shooting cover shooter it doesn't have to be a cover shootery though because gears like for the most part you have to stay in cover because you'll die if you get shot like five times but vanquish like you can be like blasting your way around the battle arenas and you know going into slow motion and being ridiculous and the gun changing animations make me really happy because the gun that sam gideon has is just like a little it's kind of just like the trigger and when you switch guns it like the gun like folds back into itself and then like unfolds into a new gun and it's just like super cool it's so beautiful like this game came out i can't remember i think it was like 2009 or 2010 but like i played it on my 360 again and it is so beautiful like 
the color palette is not brown and dingy like most third-person shooters. It's, like, white and, like, super crisp, and, like, everything is sort of, like, overexposed, and, like, most of the surfaces on the planet, or the state, not the planet, the state are white, and, like, his suit is white, and just the stuff that his suit does... Like, anytime he does, uh, he rolls to the side, there's, like, an evasive roll you can do. He, like, stands up, and he has these, like, clips on his thighs, and they, like, clip back into place because they unhinge for him to roll, and they hinge back. And, like, the grenades on his belt, like, shake independently from his body. And this stuff sounds so basic, but it's, like, little things like this in video games just make me really excited, like, little details like that. Um, and it's just super cool. Like, am I leaving anything out that I haven't mentioned yet that's cool that you can think of, Brad? I mean, everything you said is totally cool. And it's like, I mean, I, I love Vanquish so much. Like all I can, like, it, it stupefies me how much I love Vanquish. Like all I can say is like, oh my God, it's, it's the best. I can't think of anything else to say except for it's so fucking cool. But like everything you said is great. I mean, the fast action, the kinetic feeling of just like zipping around the battlefield. I'm trying to think of some game that's really done better than that. And it really, I can't think of anything that's done it better. I mean, zipping around, flipping, slowing time. I mean, it's, it's so action packed and so fast and it's so... Oh, man, it just gets you the moment. It's so great. I can't believe they haven't remastered it for PS4. I would totally love to play that again. I mean, I may even dig out my 360 copy once we're done with this podcast because, man, you're getting me kind of fired up <laughs> to play it again. But it's way past due to get remastered. And I think it's honestly, I think it's some of Platinum's best work. I'm just, I'm surprised it hasn't um, garnered a bigger fan base, honestly. Why do you think that is, Corey? Any idea? I don't know. I feel like the people that love, like the people that have played Vanquish, uh, I feel like they really love it. But I have a feeling that just like not enough people played this game because on the surface, it's like, I mean, it really is just like a third person shooter, like uh, other than the time slowing mechanic and like the like the little jet boosting around the, the arenas mechanic. There's not really a whole lot that really like sets this game apart from other shooters. Like the story is really stupid. Like the dialogue is mostly dumb, but a lot of it made me laugh this time around. Like I think the first time I played it, I took for granted how funny a lot of the dialogue is because it's very like b movie like stupid but funny dialogue and i i don't know i just feel like nobody played it maybe i don't know yeah it's interesting because i see a lot of people who really have a praise for um what is it metal gear what is that stupid one where raiden was the main character in that one like revengeance or whatever it was yeah i thought that game was terrible i didn't like that game at all and i thought that game not platinum's best. I didn't like very much of it. And it's weird to me that I see so many people celebrating Revengeance or Metal Gear Rising or whatever the fuck its title is. When I'm like, dude, like this is like this is like it's like Vanquish, but it's ruined. Like go back to Vanquish because Vanquish was like when it was done properly. Like it, it blows <laughs> me away that more people like that. I mean, obviously, maybe there's more fans of Metal Gear, so maybe more people played that and that's why they like it better. But I think Vanquish is by far the superior game. And it's just it's one of those like modern classics where like it's so good and i wish more people really played it but nobody yeah i mean like you said there's a core group of folks who really dig it and outside of that like nobody's really heard of it and i don't think they probably ever will since the game is not remastered and apparently there's no plans to bring it back anytime soon which is a shame but man such an amazing game i'm really glad because when you when you had this uh in your email to me uh, before the show when i was writing up the script and i saw vanquish on there i was like oh my god if Corey doesn't like vanquish <laughs> We're going to have to fucking throw down. It's going to be it's going to be words, man. So I'm really glad that you like it, because that means that I picked the right co-host. So everything is fine now. We're all good. Well, and to be fair, it was my second time playing it because I played it back when it came out. And there's like not a chance that I would play it again if I didn't like it. But 
Um, one thing that I forgot to mention too about it that I really like is despite the fact that most of the game is just like shooting in these big arenas and, and a little bit of cover shooting, um, the, the level design in this game is really, it keeps things fresh constantly. Like that's kind of, I guess what keeps the game fresh is it's level design because, you know, it opens and pretty much just like, you know, you take a quarter to a battle arena, you like fight a bunch of robots. Maybe there's like a giant, like ridiculous boss fight in true platinum style. And then after that, you're like escorting this like giant truck down this like really dark hallway. And there's these really awesome, like squid looking like robot monsters that come after you. And there's a part where you're in, um, where there's like no gravity and you're like big boots like keep you uh, like suction to the ground and instead of like moving around the environment the room you're in is like circular and like the room like spins around it's hard to explain like the room moves uh, like and it's like less about you moving and more about the room itself moving and it's kind of like if i had to i remember thinking this back in the day when i played it um but if i had to equate it to an older game it's pretty much like in my opinion, like a spiritual successor to Zone of the Enders. What do you think about that? Interesting. Um, maybe, but fill me in a little bit. In what sense do you feel like it's kind of similar to that? I think it's similar. Like if Zone of the Enders were a shooter on the ground instead of a like shooter where you fly around, I feel like that like it captures the essence of like how quick and how frantic um fighting is because zone of the enders is very much like you like flying around and like boosting left to right and up and down and like doing spins to you know evade uh bullets and just kind of like flying your ass off to get around and i feel like platinum sort of like takes that aerial combat and puts it on the ground in a way that feels very similar to how i felt when i played zone of the enders okay yes if that is what you're saying then i absolutely agree if we're talking about zone of the enders 2 because number one is crap but zone of the enders 2 was amazing so yes Flying around in that mech, like you said, frantically zipping back and forth, dudes all around you, really managing your combat space. Yeah, that same energy, that same kinetic feeling is absolutely in Vanquish. And it's really high energy, really high impact. And I loved Zone of the Enders too. And I love Vanquish too. Those things uh, definitely have that in common. That's a pretty good call. A- agreed. All right, good. As long as I have your, um, your uh, acceptance on that. Um, the one downside I want to say about Vanquish is... I, uh, I played it, I don't remember this being an issue the first time I played it, um, you know, like five or six or seven years ago whenever it came out, but, um, the game keeps an ongoing timer because it like checks in after every level of like how long it took you to beat that level and how many people you kill and how many bullets you use and all that stuff. Like there's like a big thorough stat screen. When I finished that game, according to the end game timer, it was only like three and a half hours long. And that is really, really, really short for a shooter. And I know it was shorter this time because I knew what I was doing and playing it. I mean, the first time through is maybe like five to seven hours, but like that just seems like I finished it and I was like, wow, it only took me three and a half hours to finish. Like, I mean, I'm all for short games. Like that's fine. But I just like did not remember it being that short the first time I played it. And I was kind of surprised because I beat it in like two and a half sittings last week whenever I played it. Yeah. You know, in a way I kind of like that though, because that game is so fucking fast and it's so intense that you can go through it really quickly. And, but that's like, that's kind of what's good about it. Like you can replay it and on different difficulty levels. And I think that some things change if memory serves, I think something changes if you go through it a second time or a third time. I may be wrong on that, but I seem to recall that being a thing, but regardless, um, Playing something so high impact and so high energy, like it, it gets you tired after a while and like think that like keeping it really short and punchy and to the point is great. Like I don't want to play 
20 hours of Vanquish. I love that it's so short and I love that you can just, you just get in, you do what you're supposed to do and you get out and you're done and you're like satisfied at the end of it. It's like, man, that was fucking good, dude. Like, and you know, and replay it in a month or two or whatever. Um, I, I think that's not a problem. I mean, especially now because I really cherish really uh, compact and to the point games more than I did in the past. Um, so I don't see that as a problem. And especially for a game that's as quick as this one is, I think that's okay. I'm all right in this instance. Well, and the good news, I guess, on top of that is because it's so old and it's short that if anybody's listening to the show and thinks, oh, maybe I should check that out or maybe I should go pick this up, like you could probably go to your local GameStop or Amazon or whatever game store you like to shop at. It's probably like $10 on the shelf used right now. Like this game can maybe maybe $10. Yeah. I mean, unless it's one of those games that like you can't because, you know, some old games that are like this that are like highly regarded but not a lot of people talk about like it's kind of hard to find them and i hope that's not the case with anguish obviously i haven't shopped for it recently because i've owned it since it came out but um i'm hoping that it's cheap if you can find it used somewhere if that's your preferred method of playing games and if you're interested and listening like by all means go buy this game and play it just know that it's only on the 360 they have not made it backwards compatible on xbox one yet which is a crime and they have like brad said they have not remastered it for xbox one or playstation 4 but uh if you have a 360 and you want to check this game out i highly highly recommend it did it not come out on steam i seem to recall that it was on steam at some point did it never make oh it, PC? it might be i don't know i am totally not a pc gamer so i have not checked my bases on that I am not either, but I seem to recall somebody saying it was on Steam. I'm not going to check right now, but I think it may also be on Steam. So probably 360 and Steam, but we'll we'll see. Go go do a search. People still have 360s <laughs> laying around. Uh, it's probably on Steam, whatever. But yeah, Vanquish is amazing. If you love good action games, you have to. You have to play this one. You got to. I can't. If it's on PC, too, I cannot imagine how amazing it must, it must look on PC because it still looks incredible on the 360 now. Like, just some of the just like graphical things they do with boss fights and with the way the suit operates. Um, I cannot imagine how amazing it must, it must, uh, must look on PC. Um, you know, cause they generally look better than console games. That must be really incredible. It must be for sure. So if anybody out there listens to this and they check it out on PC, if it is on PC, please let us know. <laughs> but, um, we have been, we have been talking so much sugar about vanquish. Um, let's move on to something else really quickly before uh, we get too far off the rails again. Um, Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time, Corey. Tell me all about this. Uh, have you played this yet? I actually have, but I'm not going to say anything until I hear you talk about it first. <laughs> okay, well, um, all right, Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time. It is on PS4. I don't know if it is it only on PS4. Uh, it's on PC. It is on PS4. It may be on Xbox One. I think it's one of those multi, multi, okay. multi games. Well, that's that's good though because it's a good game. Um, for anyone that doesn't know, and I'm hoping by the time the show comes out, this will still be a thing. Um, right now on the PlayStation Four, there is a PSN uh, five dollars and under sale, and there's like a bunch of pretty good games for like you know four ninety nine or four fifty or whatnot. Um, Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time is on that sale, and I've had my eye on it for a while, so I bought it. It was like four, I don't know, four fifty or something. So I picked it up. Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time is a God. I don't even know how to describe this game. It is a game where you are in. It's very cartoony looking, and you are you play this little character in a little spaceship. The first ship you have is 
it's like 2D, so like the ship is cut in half and you can see all the insides of it. The ship is just a small circle. Um, you have to navigate these little worlds in 2D and like fight off enemies. But the catch to the game is that it has a lot of um, co-op things going on. So I actually played this with Patrick the other night. I've only played like two chapters of it. But there's different things you can do on the ship. You have a gun on the top and on the bottom, on the left, on the right, that all have to be operated at different consoles independently from each other. You have the uh, navigational controls in the middle of the ship, uh, right in the center, and you can, which uh, have the little like booster. You can rotate the booster on the ship and then fire it so that you can travel in whatever direction you want. You have like a big gun that rotates around the ship that you do not control where it rotates, and you just have to fire it off, and it like shoots off a bunch of. Um, a bunch of beams as it rotates around the ship. And then you have a shield control in one section of the ship, and you have, like, a shield that takes up about 25% of the perimeter of the ship, and you can rotate that around to try to block enemy fire. So the whole game is you and your partner. I think it has co-op up to four people, and I bet that's, like, bananas because I've only played it with one other person. Um, but it's basically... It's kind of like Star Trek because you and your other character are just, like, frantically running around the ship, like... You know, you're either both manning the guns or one's navigating while the other person's manning the gun or, you know, your partner's moving the shield to block fire from one section while you're shooting from one section. And I, I'm saying this in a very intense way and making it sound crazy, but it's actually a very cute, cartoony game. But it is kind of hard and is kind of intense and it's really fun. Uh, I am very much looking forward to playing more of this with Patrick and I keep making all these really dumb Star Trek references, um, while we're playing, like we were playing the other night and I was like, I referred to Patrick as Ensign Kim from Star Trek Voyager cause I'm watching Voyager right now. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, Ensign Kim, get on navigational controls and get us out of here or something. It was so stupid, but, um, I'm trying to be savvy with my Star Trek knowledge cause I, I'm like lagging behind everybody from the Game Critics podcast on Star Trek, like knowledge. So I'm like trying to get into it right now but uh i i like lovers in a dangerous space time i think it's really cute and it's fun um tell me what you think about it um i dig it a lot and before i do get further into this i do want to say that you're not lagging behind me in star trek knowledge on the game critics podcast because although i do enjoy star trek um i am not a trekkie by any stretch of the imagination like whenever somebody <laughs> says oh that was just like xyz something something on episode whatever i'm like i i don't know what you're talking about like i probably saw the episode <laughs> and if you explained it to me like i probably would get what you're saying but like I, I can't keep up with that so i think i am probably dead last when it comes to star trek information and trivia and minutia so you were you were not in you were not in last place so take take that to heart sir but as far as lovers in a dangerous space time goes i think this game is really fun uh like you said it's a 2d space co-op game where i mean you can play it single player really weird because uh it just doesn't it, it's it's clearly made for co-op which is fine i think as long as people are upfront about making something a co-op experience if that's what it's intended to be and they do it well i have no problem with that at all so this is very clearly a co-op game i played it originally with my wife and we did two player so like one of us would steer kind of like what you said with patrick one of us would steer one person would shoot but then you know, it would be like, okay, well, the wife would handle the guns and maybe like the left side cannon. I would handle like the right side cannon and then the steering, but then she would have to hold the shield and like, you know, like one person's doing the shield and then when you're doing the shield, then you can't fly because the other person's on a gun. And so you're constantly switching positions back and forth. It's pretty hectic, pretty crazy. And I think it does actually get pretty challenging. I think we played on the easiest mode because we wanted to have fun and not get pissed off or anything. I mean, whenever I'm... <laughs> 
I don't know about you, but I mean, my wife is excellent at games. Like I am in, in, in no way saying my wife sucks at games. She's awesome at games, really, really good at games. And in fact, when it comes to shooting games, I think she's actually better than I am. Um, but when we play together, like I want it to be fun. Like I want it to be co-op for sure. I don't want either one of us to get mad at each other or get frustrated. And so like, we always <laughs> usually play on the easiest mode and just, you know, we're just, we're just there to have a good time. Um, and even on the easiest mode, I found it to be a little bit challenging just because there's so much going on and it's really, it is really hectic. Um, they eventually patched in a four player co-op, which I think was a great move. I'm really glad they did that. And we played with my youngest son. So we did three people out of four, and that was really fun, too. It actually gets easier with the more people because, you know, you have more hands available to man the different stations. I would like to try it four-player. I bet it would be even easier, and, like, you know, you'd have almost a full ship at that point, and so very few of the stations would be going unmanned. But it's a good game. It's a great idea. It's really unique and fun. Um, I think it's really cute and colorful. Uh, we really enjoyed it a lot. We um, kind of fell off of it. I just We just got busy doing other things, but we always... Um, planned on coming back to it to finish it it's still on my hard drive as a matter of fact so yeah I, I i dig it man i think it's a really good game it's been around for a while uh hopefully people will catch it on sale like you said i think yeah it was like four or five bucks uh but even if it goes for you know even for 10 bucks or even for 15 bucks i think it would be a really great deal i really have had nothing but good times with it so good pick man that's a fun that's a fun game i have to ask though when you guys were playing I mean, apart from the Ensign Kim thing, like, did you guys ever get, like, mad at each other? Were you getting frustrated, or was it pretty good co-op, or how did you guys do? Uh, it was good co-op, and I'm glad you asked, because whenever you were talking about you and your wife playing, um, I meant to say that this is, like, one of those games that will either, um, like, let you know how compatible you are with your partner that you're playing with, or it'll, like tear you apart potentially and uh i have to say that patrick and i actually did really well like he did navigational controls most of the time and i was like hauling ass back and forth with like trying to man the guns at different sections and we had a bunch of really good um parts where like i would be like running my ass off to get to a gun and then he would just like go down like i would think in my head like oh he needs to grab the shields but i wouldn't say it out loud and then he would just go down and get the shields and just know and like rotate the shield around to like cover my ass while i'm shooting in one direction and we uh we did really really well i mean we haven't died the ship hasn't blown up or anything yet because the ship does have a life bar um and every level like you can you collect uh, like magic space bunnies, which sounds ridiculous, but if you've played the game, like you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, you only have to uh, get a certain amount of magic space bunnies to beat every level, but so far in the chapters we've played, you can get extra ones to get like better upgrades and stuff. We've gone out of the way to get all the extra ones, and we've been successful so far. So um, I feel like the game, uh, like it's kind of living up to its name as lovers in a dangerous space time because. Patrick and I are exploring this dangerous space time and we are growing closer through it, I think. So hopefully it doesn't get worse down the road and way more difficult because so far we're, uh, we're doing pretty well. <laughs> oh, how sweet. Yeah. Kind of the same thing on my end. I find that the game really works better when people have kind of like assigned positions rather than everybody just like scrambling for whatever at any given time. So like I would usually drive, Gina would man the guns. And when my son was there, he would like, he would like to do the shields. And so we would kind of do that. But yeah, it's a great, great, great co-op game. Really recommend it. I'm really glad you guys are liking it because I really liked it too. And I like it when people like what I like because I like good things because <laughs> I'm a good person. So that all works out. Um, we do have 
another thing to talk about, Corey, and I'm sorry to put this on you, but you are the guy who has played all the games this week. I know you've talked a lot so far, and thank you very much for doing the heavy lifting. But I do, I do want to pick your brain a little bit about something you've been playing in a preview sense. Tell us, tell us, Corey, what have you been playing in a preview sense? Well, to take a page out of your book after you talking about Yakuza in a quote-unquote preview since last week, um, I know last week I was like, what does that even mean? But now uh, the tables have turned because now I get to talk about a game in a preview sense. Um, I would like to talk about Candleman, which doesn't probably sound that appealing based on the name itself. Um, this is an Xbox One exclusive game. I cannot remember who makes it, but it's like a Chinese studio, I believe. Yeah, very um, small it's Chinese embargoes. studio. Uh, I can't say a whole lot about it because it's under embargo. Um, it comes out on February 1st, I believe. So I'm just going to say a tiny bit in a preview sense. Um, I have played the whole game, and I like it in a preview sense. It kind of reminds me of... This is going to be slightly higher praise than I mean it to be, but these are like the closest games I can compare it to. It's kind of like if you took Journey and the Unfinished or Unfinished Swan and kind of put them together a little bit because the game has very much like a fairy tale chapter sort of um uh what's the word i'm looking for like progression um and there's actually like a voiceover in the game that sort of reads through a fairy tale as you go just like in the unfinished swan um but the movement and some of the graphical style kind of reminds me of journey um but I am not going to say anything else. Um, I, I mean, I guess I can say what the game is. You play as a candlestick that has legs and you navigate these environments. It's like a 3D puzzle platformer. You navigate environments and you hold. Um, it's very simple. You have the, the joystick to do movement. You press one button to jump and you can hold a different button or the right trigger to uh, light your candle flame because your candle is off by default. But the catch is that your candle flame only has 10 seconds worth of flame in each level before it burns out. And if it burns out, you die. I mean, quote unquote, you burn out. And then you have to start uh, the level over again if you burn all the way out. Some of the levels are really dark, as you would assume. So you have to, like, spark your, uh, your candle flame to sort of see around the environment. And you can light other candles in the environment that are stationary to light up areas for you. And there's one blue candle in every level that acts as a checkpoint. Um, but I, I like it. Um, I, I, in a preview sense, I like it. Um, I will have more to say on GameCritics.com at a later date because I'm writing the review for it, and I will probably talk more about it uh, on a podcast after February 1st. But um, if that synopsis of the game sounds interesting to you, then I would keep an eye out for it if you have an Xbox One. Um, I, in a preview sense, I like this game. Let me ask you really quickly, um, because this sounds pretty interesting, uh, but 10 seconds of candle time and a level, 10 seconds is a very short amount of time. That sounds like a very short amount of time. Um, like when you light yourself, I mean, you said you're a candle, when you pull that trigger to ignite your own wick, which kind of sounds dirty, um, does like oh, the, ca- the flame just like instantly like light up or is there like a, a, a second for it to start burning or do you feel like... 10 minutes is really, I mean, that sounds to me like really difficult. Is it really difficult? It's not really difficult, which I, whenever I started this game, I thought to myself, okay, I'm either going to love this game or I'm going to hate it because like a puzzle platformer is not really my bag. Um, And then the whole candle wick thing, the 10 second time limit sort of added more pressure. But when I started playing the game, I realized that it's not, 
it's this isn't really a game about like high stakes difficulty um but if you hold so the candle stays on if you hold the trigger it lights up and then if you let go of the trigger it goes off so it's not a toggle which is good um it does like you can just tap the trigger and it'll like because it lights up pretty instantaneously but obviously if you hold the trigger for like two seconds you're gonna get a little more light in the surroundings because it'll be on longer it'll be able to bounce off the walls a little bit better but if you i navigated most of the levels just by like sparking it for about a half a second and kind of seeing the path and then going through you know trying to get up to the next part of the path and then sparking it again and whenever you light stationary candles it definitely helps you um, cause those stay on and they don't take away from your life or anything. Um, those will stay on to kind of help you navigate. Um, the funny thing about the game is that I actually died more often from like accidentally falling off ledges while platforming than I did from bur- I think I only burned out the candle the entire time, maybe once or twice in the whole game. So even though it sounds hard, it is not in my opinion. Are there any enemies that like come by and like blow out your candle or anything like that? Um, yes. In some okay. parts, there are enemies that stalk you. Okay, so it's not just like a walking simulator plus candle. Like there is a little bit, a little bit of uh, maybe not combat, but stuff to avoid, a little bit of danger, that kind of thing. Yeah, a little bit in some parts, and also it's worth noting that not every level is pitch black like the game starts off super dark and you have to use your candle a lot to get around but at certain points um the levels aren't as dark and it's more about like pure like 3d puzzle platforming and it's the light element it kind of comes and goes at certain parts um but i i recommend it so far Excellent, excellent. Well, let's not talk anymore about it. I'm sure we will revisit it once the embargo is up. Thank you Corey for talking about that in a preview sense uh because that's exactly what we're doing right there in a preview sense um and thank you so much for carrying the load this week Corey. i know i mentioned this already but that was a lot of games um a lot a lot a lot of games and i promise i will try to do better next week and not have all the burden on your shoulders but um we're kind of getting to the end of the show here before we wrap up though we did receive some questions from a long time game critics listener his name is jeroon legerste and he's been around for a long time. He always sends in a lot of questions to the Game Critics podcast. Good guy. Um, very, very big fan of uh, Game Critics in general. So he sent in these questions to us. And thank you, Jeroen, for listening. Um, we meant to answer these earlier, but it just, they fell off the radar. I really apologize. Uh, so, so sorry to Jeroen for forgetting to answer these sooner, but we did not forget. And yes, now at long last, we are finally going to answer your questions uh he sent in two questions Corey, would you like to read uh the first of jeroon's questions i would love to do nothing more than that um his first question or his prompt if you will is um i do not like first person shooters in general and really dislike multiplayer focused games but i am interested in history however would you recommend the single player campaign of battlefield one i heard it's pretty good Brad, have you played any of Battlefield 1? No, I actually just got it from Gamefly, but I haven't had any time for it. And I know that you played it a little bit, so maybe you want to handle this one? I do. Um, I, I'm i almost on the same page. I like first-person shooters, but I have no interest in multiplayer-focused shooters. Um, and I have to say, I... I mean, the the history angle of Battlefield 1 is pretty interesting. Like, that's kind of the thing that initially hooked me when I started playing the game, because I went in with 
not very high expectations. Like I kind of went in with the same expectations I had for Gears 4. I was like, okay, I'm not super excited about this game, but I'm going to play it and I'm going to see what it does. And the opening couple of chapters I thought were interesting. And, you know, they taught me some stuff about World War One that I didn't know, which is good news. Um, but ultimately I did not uh, end up finishing the game. Um, I only played probably about half of it, just 60% of it, before I sent it back to Gamefly. Um, I just didn't think it was that great. Um, however, if you are a history buff, that might be enough to motivate you through it because there's not really anything wrong with the game. It's just like historical first-person shooting. You know, there's some stealth elements. There's some vehicle segments. You know, there's shooting, as you would expect in a first-person shooter. But I just didn't feel like anything in the game stood out enough for me to want to finish it. But... Uh, so I don't know. That's kind of uh, tough for me to answer. Like, I think the game is definitely, um, I don't know. I'm failing to come up with a good adjective here. Like, like it's good. It's good enough. It's like, um, I don't know. It's fine, but the history angle might make you more interested, but it wasn't enough to get me in, but I'm also not a history buff. So that's my really terrible answer to your question. I, so like I said, I haven't played this one, but Considering the history angle, something that I would throw out to Jeroen is maybe Valiant Hearts. Um, it's put out by Ubisoft, I believe. That was a World War I game as well. Uh, it was more of kind of like a point and click at times, and it wasn't really an action game, but uh, it got a lot of really positive word of mouth. I actually didn't care for it. I just didn't click with that style of game, and I actually kind of thought it was going to be something different when I played it, so maybe I will come back to it again. But I heard a lot of people talk about that game in a very positive sense and in addition the developers spent a lot of time uh, with the actual history of world war one I. I believe there were some testimonials that were included in the game i think there were some historical facts um, i think they really went um, big on the actual real world history of stuff uh Jeroen, i don't know if you played that and i can't speak to battlefield one but i know for a fact that that uh valiant hearts was one that got a lot of praise for the historical aspect so maybe if you haven't played that one uh check that one out so yes um he did write is, in with one is valiant other hearts oh. yeah what is valiant hearts the one that's like cell shaded like real-time strategy and then it like transforms in a third-person shooting for the battles i don't think am so. i thinking of a different game i ah, think you may be thinking what game of am i thinking one? of this is one where it's like side <sighs> it's like 2d side scrolling i think there was some like driving sections that were kind of like the car was driving forward or something like that but it was basically like a point and click is kind of how is is what i remember from it i didn't play the whole game but the sections that i played were, were like point and click basically kind of sort of kind of an amalgamation but oh well anyway um jeroen goes on to ask another question uh, he says, Assassin's Creed 2 is the only Assassin's Creed game which I've tried and I didn't really like it. Stopped playing after a couple of hours. Thought it was uh, too much of fetch questing here and there. Too little focus on historical things. I do, however, still love history and especially medieval stuff. Big Game of Thrones fan. Would you recommend me trying Assassin's Creed again? And if so, which games of the series is the best? Which games did you think was actually fun to play and interesting in a historical sense? Corey, any any thoughts? Well, you know, uh, like two minutes ago, whenever you said, oh, if you're not in a battlefield, I recommended this game. I thought I swore I thought you were going to say Assassin's Creed 3. 
Why? What? Which one is that one? Is that the? That's like the American Revolution one. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Did you like that one? Did you play that one? Uh, no. I actually, um, the only Assassin's Creed games that I've played are one and two, and I, uh, I feel like, and I could be wrong about this, that Assassin's Creed Two is like the most highly regarded one in the series. Um, maybe because the rest of them just seem uh, kind of copied and pasted. Like I played a tiny bit of Black Flag and I think like two or three games had come out between Assassin's Creed 2 and Black Black Flag. And whenever I played Black Flag, I remember playing it for like 30 minutes and thinking, wow, this feels exactly like Assassin's Creed 2, which came out, I don't know, like three or four years ago. And it feels like zero innovation has gone into this. So I stopped playing it. Um, But two... I th- I liked two a lot. I feel like people think it's the best one. I might be wrong about that um, at this point in time because only like you know fifty five Assassin's Creed games have come out since then. But uh, I don't know. What do you think? Um, I am actually not a fan of Assassin's Creed at all. I don't like any of the games. Um, I think I played <laughs> I played the first one and I thought it had potential. And then I played the Ezio trilogy, and I didn't like those. I felt they were very repetitive. Uh, I, they never really delivered on the promise of the story. They just, they were, I mean, I, I'm trying to think of a better word than cocktease, but those games were like a giant cocktease, and I just did not enjoy <laughs> that at all. Um, and I kind of stopped playing after that. Like, they just were the same. Just like, like you said, the, the gameplay did not evolve enough to where I felt compelled to come back, and it felt like the story lost focus. Uh, very fetch questy, and I'm just not a fan of the hold the button to parkour with no skill over stuff in the environment. It's really boring. Um, so, Jeroen, I would not uh, recommend any of the Assassin's Creed games. I don't feel like they're very faithful to history. I mean, I could be wrong on that, but from the games that I played, I felt like they were inspired by certain things, but like not really that I was taking any historical lessons away from it. However, if you do really like medieval stuff, um, one game that I would recommend is called Kingdom Come Deliverance. I believe that's what it's called. Have we talked about that on the show before, Corey? Yeah, because you played it at like PAX or something and we talked about it. Like That was like our second or third show. We talked about that a really long time ago. Um, but do you have any more updates about that game, like its release date or anything? No further updates, but I know the developers are really working hard. And the reason that I recommend Kingdom Come Deliverance is because that is very much uh, a historical sim in many ways. I mean, there's a storyline and it's an RPG uh, coming out from some developers in, I believe, I want to say it's Poland. I could be incorrect on that. Uh, But that they've done crazy historical research on that game. They actually have a full time historian whose only job is to make sure that the stuff that happens in that game is actually plausible in, in the medieval setting, they researched uh, what the town looked like. Like the town in the game is an actual medieval town, which is, as a matter of fact, still there. A lot of those buildings are still there. I saw some photos of the buildings that they were recreating. And it was like amazing. Like they, they literally recreated this actual town. So when you go to play that game, like the town that you're in is a real town that actually existed uh, back in the day. They researched like the food that was available, the clothing that was available, the armor, like everything that's in that game with very, very few exceptions just for playability, is actually really real. So if you're interested in historical stuff, especially medieval stuff, Jeroen, Kingdom Come Deliverance is your jam. That is like a full-on historical-ass history game with a JR, or not a JRPG, but an RPG 
uh, stuck on top of it. It looks great, especially if you like the sim kind of stuff. So I would say forget Assassin's Creed. If you ask me, that series is fucking garbage. Hold off for something like uh, Kingdom Come or, you know, maybe check out Valiant Hearts. Uh, you know, like where I said, maybe Battlefield 1 would be worth playing. Um, any other recommendations, Corey? Anything historical uh, leaping out at you off the top of your head? Uh, not really. I'm not really into, like, history in video games, I don't think. Um, but I do think it's hilarious that you're like, oh, don't don't play Assassin's Creed, but instead play this game that I don't know when it's coming out that I don't really uh, have any updates for. <laughs> but I know it's going to be good because I played I played a build and it was pretty good. So <laughs> it'll be good when it gets out here. It's coming soon. Keep your eyes out. Um, I, the only thing I can think of, I mean, this is like a mixture of the two questions. I know Assassin's Creed 3 is like the Revolutionary War and not World War One. Uh, but if the Revolutionary War sounds interesting to you and um, you want to try to take a dip back into Assassin's Creed, Assassin's Creed 3 might be the way to go because it's like American history plus Assassin's Creed mechanics. But I haven't played Assassin's Creed 3, so I, I mean, I'm sure it's just more of the same Assassin's Creed stuff, uh, but that's probably the only recommendation I can throw out. Yeah, but I think you're right, Corey, when you said that Assassin's Creed 2 is, I think, probably the highest rated game or the one that people have the best opinion of i know people like black flag a lot too but i mean from what i have observed i think you're right and if he said i mean jeroon said he bounced off of ac2 if he didn't like that one i i'm guessing he's probably not cut out for assassin's creed which is fine so i mean i don't know i don't know jeroon there you go those are our recommendations hopefully that will answer your question um yeah Indeed. i think, that, I think that's thank it. you for writing in yeah thank you very much absolutely for sure Corey? Um, you know what I just uh, you know what I just remember just coming out this week that I'm gonna be talking a lot about next week? What is that, sir? Resident Evil Seven. Ooh, when is that coming out? Tuesday. Oh wow, and tonight we're recording on Sunday, so like two days. Wow, okay. We're definitely gonna have to do a deep dive on that uh come next Sunday. Interesting. And I'm not gonna play that at all, but I really want to hear about <laughs> it. You want to know what the best thing is about it coming out on Tuesday is? What's that, sir? The best thing is that Patrick is going out of town for a job interview Tuesday through Thursday. So I'm going to take him to the airport on Tuesday night. And then I'm going to go buy Resident Evil 7. And I'm going to be home alone. And I'm going to turn on all the lights. And I'm going to put my headphones on. And I'm going to be oh, able God. to spend three days straight playing this game home alone and it's going to be glorious. That sounds like torture. That literally sounds like if you ship me to Guantanamo Bay, like that's that's what you would do to like break me, like put the headphones on me and turn the lights <laughs> off and make me play a scary game. Like that sounds awful. I don't want to do that at all. I'm man. How do you even live through that? How do you enjoy that? That's crazy. It's the only way to do it. If I play, if I buy or rent or I'm playing a scary game, there is not a chance in hell I'm going to play it like during the day when the sun is out and the windows are open. Like I have to wait for nighttime for like either Patrick to be in bed or to not be home where I just like won't be bothered and put my headphones on and like pull my couch up like extra close to the TV. That's the only way to do it. Oh my God. I don't play scary games anymore, but if I do, I turn all the lights on. <laughs> I uh, make sure my wife or my son is in the room. Probably not my son if it's too scary, but my wife at least. And I, 
I started a conversation with her to distract myself from playing the game because shit be scary, yo, and I don't like that anymore. So I am not going to do anything that you recommended with Resident Evil 7. I'm going to stay the hell away from the game. <laughs> but I do want to hear all about it. So um, let's plan for that in seven days. We will be talking about it. Unless I have died from, like, shock or, like, being scared or something. I That might happen, so... My the desk in front of me is fake wood. I'm gonna knock on it a few times, and hopefully, um, I will not die from shock. Because if I do, I'm gonna be home alone, and nobody will know I'm dead until my like gross body smells start seeping through the walls to my neighbors. That's gross. Patrick would have like a hell of a cleanup job when he came back. Let's not wish that on Patrick. Uh, or me. Thank you for dying. Jeez, Brad. <laughs> yeah, that that too. That too. <laughs> No, you can All die. Right. It's okay. I just don't want Patrick to have to clean up your body. <laughs> well, it's a big, it's a big mess, you know. Like I have never. I don't know if I should even bring this up on the show, but I used to work oh, God. Um, at the coroner's office a while ago. So I've got all sorts of uh, all sorts of interesting stories that relate back to that. I'm going to save that uh, oh, for God. now, but maybe someday we're going to get into that. I've got some really crazy shit that I could share. Um, anyway, not tonight though. Not tonight, and not in the dark. <laughs> I got. I can't be scared myself. Anyway. I think we're pretty close to the end of the show, Corey. What do you think, man? Uh, I think we better wrap it while we're here. Um, uh, so, yeah, I think that's it. Um, we, oh, my God, I'm so tired. I'm, like, off my train of thought. Um, that is it for this episode of the So Video Games Podcast. Um, I really hope, listeners at home, I hope you like me and not Brad, because I talked a hell of a lot on this episode. So if you come to this show for Brad, I am really sorry that you just had to listen to me talk a bunch. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it is what it is. Um, uh, We, as always, we uh, welcome any thoughts, feedback, questions, show ideas, topics, video games you want to hear about. Um, If you want to send us anything, we are open to it all. You can find us on gmail at so video games podcast at gmail.com we are also on twitter at so video games uh, so anything you guys want to let us know about even if it's questions about historical video games or battlefield we are happy to answer them on air um so i uh, i think that's gonna do it yeah sex questions too we still have we've only gotten like one sex question so far i'm kind of oh, disappointed God. We got to get some more because I want to talk about it. So you guys got to send something and I can't just bring it up. You got to send in some questions. But anyway, like Corey said, send us your thoughts, feedback, ideas. Thank you very much for listening. And I think for this week, this is bye from Brad. And bye from Corey. We will see you guys next week. Unless I die playing Resident Evil 7. Poor Patrick. Mm. Good night. (laughs)